0: Well, Merry Christmas to you. How's everybody? Good. Those of you that are home, we can hope you got your pajamas on and you're relaxed. And I do want to say a special thank you for everybody that was able to show up yesterday at uh, the Bartlett campus with the Help Day. Uh, Chris called me this morning. Chris Ellison called me this morning and and just wanted to say a special thank you because the weather was so raunchy and had to be out there in Some somewhere outside somewhere inside, but we had about four hundred families that we served, gave food to, and it was just for those of you that were able to be there and help uh thank you and I know some of you there helped on a regular basis couldn't be there yesterday and um i, be, I being one of those, I actually uh, officiated a funeral yesterday it was a great chance to share the gospel with some folks and uh Uh, God bless me as as well, I hope them, so thank you, whether you're watching or you're here, we we are grateful, so thank you. I don't think it's on your outline, I think I messed up, I know you find it hard to believe, but you can turn to Luke chapter 2, you probably figured that out already, being the Bible scholars that you are, Luke chapter 2. We'll remind you of one other thing, in case I I forget to do it, or we forget to do it at the end. Thursday night, being Christmas Eve, we're going to have our communion candlelight service and uh, uh, Peter and Rhiannon putting some stuff together, I think it's going to be cool, we're looking forward to it, so Thursday night at 5 o'clock, there's been a little bit of confusion on that because some of us can't tell time. Some of us are on Eastern Time, some of us are on Central Time. For example, the clock on the wall in the back says it's a quarter to nine, which means I've got three hours. I like the clock on the wall. Some of you are going, hey, Bub, it ain't a quarter to nine. We've got these old things called watches. We've got phones. Uh, when you're my generation, it's funny, Mary and I have been spending a lot of time together you know how you with, with, if you're with teenagers any time and you're like on a trip or on a bus or you're around them, even in meetings, you'll see them texting, all of them in the room. And they might be texting somebody that's sitting where? Right next to them. So Mary and I were sitting there. She said, have you got a picture of songs I said, Don't. she said well, send it to me. Like, I'm all, I said, it's on my phone. She goes, well, send it to me. I said, what do you mean send it to you? Here, look at it. Then. She said, "No, send it to me. I want to." We had gotten a picture of uh, my daughter Beth with my dad. I didn't even know the picture existed, and it looked so much like best daughter Emerson, like with me. Even though I don't look like my father, but just the way the picture was, it looked like Emerson and me sitting together on the couch. And Beth had sent it to me, and I and I didn't even, I'd never seen the picture. And it was just kind of cool. We don't have a whole lot of pictures of my father, and uh, especially when he's smiling. Those were rare. So. Uh, Mary wanted the picture. And so we're sitting like right beside each other. And I said, well, here, here's my phone. You? She goes, I don't know how to do it. I said, oh, I got to do everything. And are right beside each other. So Thursday night in Bartlett, we're doing it at 6 o'clock. But those of us who are spiritual and really in tune with the season are doing it when? 5 o'clock here. You know why we're doing it at 5 o'clock instead of 6 o'clock? So we can go home and go to bed, those of us that need, or we can go eat with the other senior adults. We've always done it at 5 o'clock out here, and, and uh, so 5 o'clock here, you can do it here with us at 5 o'clock, we'll be through in time for you to run out and do it at 6 o'clock in Bartlett if you so desire, I know that's what all of you are going to do, but hopefully we can come together, it's a special time to, to, to share the Lord's Supper together. Um, share the Christmas season, the Christmas story together, and then the candlelight when the whole room, everything, all the lights are off, and there's nothing here but candles, and it begins with one light. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture of how the gospel will spread, Jesus being the light of the world. So if you can be here with us Thursday night, that would be great. What time? The clock on the wall is? Wrong. <laughs> it is wrong. All right. So, again, thank you for those of you that were able to help yesterday, and if you can be here Thursday night, that would be great. All right, Luke chapter 2, if you haven't turned there already. What we're going to do today is we kind of wrap up this little mini-series that I'm doing on Christmas concerning the messages that Gabriel had. We've seen his message to um, uh, Elizabeth, Zechariah saw his message last week to Joseph and Mary. What we're going to see today is his message to whom? Take a guess, look on your handout and tell me who's, make sure we're all together. Thank you, make sure somebody's here. Shepherds! His message to the shepherds and to Simeon. We're going to see how all of this ties together. If you look at the top of your handout, it says, When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. What we're looking at in this, these three weeks is how this moment in time when the Christ child enters planet Earth, when Jesus, the baby Jesus, is born, He's always been the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, and then He's born the child, Jesus of Nazareth. We talked about that a little bit last week, and that it was the fulfillment of prophecy. It shows the sovereignty of God, and it was at that definite moment in time, born under, born of a woman, born under the law. We're going to look at that a little bit today as well. How it fulfilled everything that God was doing, not just in history. It is a pinnacle of history when the Christ Child entered the planet. Headed to the cross. That is history. That is the focus of, of all human history and the God's plan of redemption. But that is an eternal plan. In the mind of God, God sees everything simultaneously. We talked about it during our, our series on Who's Your Daddy? And here's the most important moment in the history of the human race when redemption comes to the planet. And I want you to notice, first of all, Look down at verse 10 of Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That is the summary of Christmas. That is good news. The Lord knows we need good news. They needed good news, the culture they lived in. We need it today. I was reading this week about news and just in general, how a lot of it you can't trust. A lot of it is no longer news, it's just opinion. This couple were sitting around, they were talking, and she said, do you want to watch the 6 o'clock news and get sick now? Or do you want to wait and watch the 11 o'clock news and not be able to sleep all night? Which do you want to do? And So our choice is just don't watch it. Here's the point. When Jesus Christ entered planet Earth, it was good news. And notice, it's good news, not just for the Jews, but for which group of people? All people. No matter who you are. No matter your station in life. We're going to talk about the shepherds in a moment. Not Whether you're a king, whether you're an emperor, or whether you're a shepherd. The whole social ladder strata, pick one. Jesus Christ came, the Christ child came to die for the sins of the world. From Caesar Augustus himself to the lowly shepherds in the field, and whoever we today, no matter who it is, and that's the message. That the beauty of understanding Christmas is that it's good news for a world that desperately needs good news. Every day, we are. No, I'm talking about now. We are just bombarded with negativity and negative things that are happening and. What are we going to do? And, it's, and there just seems to be no hope, no peace. And yet, what did Christ bring? He brought hope and he brought peace. If I'm interested in being at peace with God, he's my answer. If, I'm under, if I need the peace of God to deal with life, he's my answer. We could literally go around the room. And some of you, as I look at your faces, and, and I, I know, and even those who aren't here, and, and I think about just in the, in the Christ Church family, some of the, the incredible pain and hurt that's going on in, in hearts of people right now. We're a family, and we love each other. What part of the body hurts. The whole body hurts. And again, with with what Mary has been going through and we're going through, and it, it's a reminder to me as we, we pray daily about we trust you, Lord, and we love you, Lord, We hate gastroparesis. We don't understand why. What we know is that our God is still God. And he wants to work good, is working good, even though we may not see it and understand it right now. Some of it you may, some of it you may not even until eternity. But the message of Christmas is we have hope in the midst of that horrible thing. We've got hope in the midst of whatever we're facing. Because our God is God. And he is in control. And I was sharing even yesterday. as I was sharing at that funeral service. And it's hard when your dad passes away. And It was a wife. Her husband, they've been married 49 years. And Mary and I have been married 47 years. And they've been married 49 years. And you've been married that long. It's It's just part of you. It's just... It's it's who you are. Is I'm not just Randy Lockley. I'm Randy Lockley, Mary's husband. That's, you know, kind of like family. You don't say Randy. You usually say Randy and Mary or Mary and Randy. That's, since 1970, we've been inseparable, other than a few stupid times when I broke up with her in high school and because I was cool. Other than that, we've been inseparable for 50 years. 50 years. And it goes by just like that. But the beauty is, we know who our daddy is. We know that he is God. And so the message of Christmas to the shepherds, we'll see to Simeon on a little different level, is that it's good news. That it's good news. Even though there are things that we deal with. The early church was persecuted by Nero to unbelievable, you just can't imagine the horror that Nero put them through. Things like sewing them up in animal skins, soaking them in oil, and then setting them on fire while they were alive to use them as lamps. Throwing them to wild animals for play while they were still alive. Just because they were Christians. They didn't worship Nero, they worshiped the Christ. The persecution, Peter even describes it in one of his epistles, as a fiery trial that you're going through. But it's only for a season. Because what's the worst possible thing the world can throw at me as a believer in Jesus Christ? They could take my life. And for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. So why win? Why do I win? Because Jesus conquered sin and death for me. That's what the Bible says. He conquered my greatest fear, death. He conquered it for me. You know why Christmas is about joy? We're going to see this in a moment. You know why it's about joy? We sing it all the time. Joy to the world, probably the most famous of the Christmas carols. Joy to the world. Why is it joy? Because the number one problem that every human being on planet Earth has was conquered at Christmas. Because God came in the flesh, Emmanuel, to die for our sins. Joy to the world. So let's begin to look at it. Look at the context. Starting in chapter two, let's just read starting in verse one. Very famous. We all know it. Two one. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Your Bible may say taxed. Basically this is a census. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. And I know you know this, but a manger, very simply, is a feed trough. Keep that in your mind as we walk through this portion. So so verses 1 through 7, setting up the scene for what we're going to look at today, is a circumstance of the birth of Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. It shows you the sovereignty of God. And maybe for me personally, I love those two aspects of it, but maybe for me personally, it shows the humility of God, the God-man. If you read through the Gospels, jesus the only time Jesus ever talked about himself and said, this is who I am, and as far as other than claiming to be God and deity, when he was talking about being human, he only claimed one character attribute. What was it? Humility. He said, I am meek. And lowly in heart. And they both mean I'm humble. That it's not about me, it's always about others. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. Is that I commit my life to Jesus Christ and then I go about saying, How can, how can I serve other people in the name of Jesus Christ? Perfect examples what we do, did yesterday, the help group. That's a very tangible, hands on example that. You guys, through your giving, make it possible for us to get the food. And then by showing up and distributing it, we literally put it in the hands and the cars and the trucks and the the vans. The vehicles of people put it in their hands. And what do we ask for in return? Absolutely nothing. We're simply loving them in the name of Jesus Christ. You know what the message of the gospel is? Jesus Christ loved you so much. He died for you. And will give you peace on earth and eternal life. And what do you do to to earn that? Nothing. You can't buy it. You don't deserve it. But he gives it to you. It's a free gift. He simply says, trust me. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I am your savior. So back to the passage. So in verses 1 through 7, you're seeing Luke's secular historical account. Luke literally wrote a chronological historical account of the life of Christ. So we would have that. The other Gospels are written, Matthew to the Jews, John to just a crazy man preaching the Gospel, and Mark was written about more to uh, like the Romans, where uh, Luke is writing just simply a chronological historical account. I love what Paul said about Jesus Christ. In Philippians, I love that book if you haven't picked up on that already. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul said this about Jesus Christ. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He chose volitionally, willingly, willingly to subject himself, and you read on in that passage, that same passage in Philippians 2, to subject himself to become, this was God, the creator of the universe, said, I will condescend to, to become a human being. And not only will I do that, I will voluntarily submit myself to being tortured to death on their behalf. So he humbled himself and became obedient under death, even the death of the cross. He willingly allowed the Romans to torture him to death. Why? Because he loved me and you. That's Christmas. He came to die because he loved us. And I want you to notice one other thing about this, and then we'll move into actual walking through the, the good news. Historically, we saw earlier, we read verses 1 through 7, What you notice in verses 1, 2, and 3 is the Roman Empire was dominant on the world scene. talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And yet, while Quirinius is governing Syria, during this time under Caesar Augustus, God has Rome decide to have a census. Why? So he could get Joseph and Mary where? The Bethlehem, because that fulfilled the prophecy from Micah chapter 5. That the Messiah would be born where? In Bethlehem. So who was in charge? Caesar Augustus, or your God? Clearly, your God was. So historically, at that moment in time, God says, "Okay, Rome, it's time to have a census. We just need to. Get, I need to get." And by the way, we talked about this last week. They had to travel about 70 miles to get there. On foot, nine months pregnant. God didn't make it easy, did he? But speaking of the crucifixion, did God, God didn't make it easy. He died the most horrific way man has ever discovered to torture another man to death. That's the way God chose to die for us, as opposed to lethal injection or drugs of some kind or even cutting off or beheading someone. Crucifixion was a horrific, it literally, you died from an explosion of your heart because you couldn't get up and couldn't breathe. He chose to die that way because he loved us. Now, Look at point one on your handout. What's Gabriel's message to the shepherds? Well, it's good news. We've talked about that already. Verse 8. Now they were in the same country, historically at this moment in time. Shepherds were living in the fields, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. So his an announcement of the most important event in human history, up to that point for sure. Crucifixion, the two are tied together. But up to this moment in time, this is the most important moment in the history of the human race. It's occurring at a little place called Bethlehem and God sends Gabriel to announce it to Caesar? No. Who's he announce it to? The shepherds. If you don't think there's a message here, you're not paying attention. He announces it to the shepherds. Without going into great detail, if you had a ladder, a social ladder that you were trying to climb, or just a strata that you were looking at, where would you find the shepherds when you looked at that ladder? The very bottom, both from Romans from the Romans' point of view, and maybe more importantly, from the Jews' point of view. They were the lowest echelon of Jewish society. They were considered unclean because they spent all their time with animals, sheep, they, weren't a, they, they worked seven days a week, so what they could not do was get clean to go to synagogue or go to the temple to worship properly, so they were considered unclean all the time. They, they were considered uneducated. They were uneducated. They were unwelcome in polite society. They were considered untrustworthy to the point that no shepherd was allowed to give testimony in a court. Like this person, the shepherd saw me. I wasn't, I was with the shepherd. I didn't kill that person. I was with the shepherd. Shepherds weren't allowed to testify, they were considered untrustworthy. The bottom of society, the lowest possible rung on the ladder. They were just unknown, unappreciated, just doing the, the horrible work of taking care of sheep. They were poor people. It was a poor place. And yet, Gabriel says to them, I've got good news. For you. For you. If it's good news for them, the lowest possible spot on the ladder, who would it also be good news for? And Gabriel even says it. It's for all people. All people. The point being, if you're Caesar Augustus, you're not going to be no closer to God than these shepherds are. And as a matter of fact, if you read through the Gospels closely, Jesus went out of his way to say... You take the religious elite, the Pharisees, I don't want you to be like them. I don't want you to to pray like them. I don't want you to give like them. I don't want you to act like them. They are religious hypocrites. They're self-righteous. I don't want you to be like them. And they were the elite. They were at the top of the ladder. Jesus said, I want you to be humble, self-sacrificing. I want you to be like me, not like the Pharisees. They're self-righteous. You need to come to me... And say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, like the thief on the cross did. So the shepherds are just out in the field, tending to their flocks, doing their job on a daily basis. And Gabriel and later a whole group of angels show up. God meets them where they are. He's got a tremendous message for them. So the first thing he wants to tell, is the person of this good news. Who is this person? This good news, verse 9. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, these shepherds, and they were greatly afraid. This is uh, uh, contextually, and no theologians disagree, that this is Gabriel, regardless of who it is. He stood, this Gabriel stands before them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. If you study the glory of God, and again you know, we're not going to exegete all of that today, but if you simply study the glory of God and run it through Scripture, and you go back to the temple, the tabernacle, and then the temple, and the Shekinah glory of God was the light that would be in. It represented the presence of God, and it was the light that would illuminate the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement when God's presence was being. There was no artificial light, no candles, no no light of any kind in the sunlight or anything else. It was pitch black. It was illuminated by the presence of God. And if you study, like when Moses he comes on, he's he's been in the presence of God and his, his face is like illuminated. And as you see it through scripture, it's always described as unapproachable light. Like, and so suddenly, these shepherds are just surrounded by this incredible light, the glory of God. And it had not been evident in Israel for at least 600 years. It had been in the tabernacle, and then it was in the temple. And then because of the rebellion of the Jews and both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and all the Jews in rebellion, the glory left the temple. And they had not seen it in at least 600 years. And who's the first group of people that God reveals his glory to again? It's the shepherds. It's how special this moment was. The glory's back. God. It's presence. I'm here to announce to you the presence of God. They were greatly afraid. You know what the Greek is for greatly afraid? Their knees were knocking. The King James, I think old King James says, they were sore afraid. I bet they were sore afraid. You're just out here, look, you're just out here doing your job, and boom, the glory of God, and an angel standing there, I said, boys, I'd like to talk to you. Take a break. Powerful moment. The group no one else had wanted anything to do with. And God says, I got a special announcement for you. Notice the first thing Gabriel says to them. We mentioned this last week. You see this throughout the Christmas story. What's the first thing Gabriel says to them? In verse 9. Wait a minute, excuse me, verse 10. The angel said to them, What? Don't be afraid. Because they were afraid. We talked about this before, but I was reminded this week as I was reading again. It's really cool. That phrase, in some form, do not be afraid or fear not, appears in the Bible how many times? Do you remember? 365. How many days are there in a year? God's sending a little message. What is it? I know your day's really bad. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For behold, I got something for you. For the shepherds, for you, for me, no matter what your day looks like, don't be afraid. Paul told Timothy, we have never be given a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. That's who we are as Christians, believers in Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid. Verse 10, I got something for you. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. Here's your good news. First of all. I bring you great joy. We talked about this a moment ago. I'm going to solve your number one problem. It's not Rome. It's not the Pharisees. It's not the rabbis. I'm going to solve your number one problem, shepherds. I'm going to bring you great joy in your heart. Because the Savior is coming. Great joy. First Peter chapter one, Peter writes these words. Whom having not seen, talking about Christ, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. None of us has ever seen Jesus Christ. But we know he's redeemed us, we know he's saved us, and we have a peace and a joy that you cannot get any place else on this planet except at the foot of the cross. And you surrender to Jesus Christ. And he gives you joy in the midst of turmoil and peace in the midst of horrible circumstances, and he gives you eternal life. So as Peter says, we have joy inexpressible, and full of the glory of God. We want people to know who our God is because of what he gives to us. That's the message of Christmas, that gift of peace and joy. Then verse 10. Again, I'm going to give you great joy, good news, but I also got a little more good news. This is for all people, including you lowly, Despised, rejected shepherds. It's for you. But it's also for the Gentiles, which they would not have understood or even wanted. It's also for the Gentiles. It's for all people. But here's the point, shepherds. This great, this good news of great joy is for all people. But you know who the first people are that I'm telling this to? You know, I've got a group, I've got to go, I've got a lot to do. But you know who I'm telling first? God sent me to tell you. You're special. He loves you. Despite what the Pharisees and others would say about you, you're special. This good news is for you. Great joy. You're the first ones. I said, you may be insignificant to the rest of society, but you are very significant to God. One of the things I learned years ago as a young Christian, it really helped me. Look at verse 11. For to you, for there is born to you. One of the things I learned as a young Christian, I'm talking about as a teenager, that I've carried with me all my life. No matter how bad your life, my my home life was not good. In many ways, very horrific. But after I got saved as a 16-year-old, the one thing I always had, I loved being alone. I still love to read. I've always been a voracious reader. But after I got saved, I started reading stuff that I used to read a lot of Greek and Roman mythology and every Sherlock Holmes thing I could ever put my hands on, I read every bit. I loved I just loved to read. But then I started reading people like Francis Schaeffer, who to this day I don't understand. I started reading him as a 16 year old, just a brand new Christian. And I was just in awe of the stuff he would write. And how the thing that I took from that was not just Francis Schaeffer, but and really getting to C.S. Lewis later on, but Francis Schaefer in particular and, and other apologists that I would read. Yeah, I don't even know what apologies were. I thought that was when you said you were sorry. I began to realize, wow, God thinks Randy is important. God loves me. And, and I may be alone in whatever setting I find myself. But what God says is you're important. I got something I want to do for you, with you. I didn't know what it involved. I didn't know where, where I was going to go with my life. But what I knew was that wherever I went, God would be right in the middle of it because I was important to him. He had chosen me. I had no idea. If you'd asked me as a, a teenager, college student, would, would this be what you would do with your life, my answer would have been no, I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to make a lot of money. I talked to a guy this week. We used to work together in, in the secular world just hadn't talked to him in years and see how he was doing. And We just laughing about some of the stuff we saw as greeting card salesmen traveling together. I never envisioned doing this. But God did, didn't he? God did. And every day, despite the challenges of that day, I'm reminded that this good news was for me. And I want people to know it. I want them to revel in the fact Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ child, came for them personally to give them peace on earth. Romans chapter 1, Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and through salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. It's for everybody. Now, verse 11 again, good news. It's a Savior. He's Christ the Lord, Savior. Very important. Savior, a lot of different things that Jesus has called in Scripture, Christ, Savior, Christ the Messiah, exact same word, one's, one's Greek, one's Hebrew. He's, he's the Christ. He's the Savior. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, on and on. And then all the great I am statements. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But this is the one that's the most significant. He's the Savior. That means the, the anointed one. The one, the unique one, the only one who could make it possible for you to be right with God. He is the promised seed in the Garden of Eden. He is the promised seed to Abraham. He, on and on, you could go on and on. We'll do a great Bible study sometime. Just go through the Bible and all the references to the Messiah, to Christ, and list them. And then sit back and, wow, that's who your Savior is. So he says to the shepherds and to us, your prayers have been answered because as, as good Jews Shepherds would have been praying for the Messiah to come. We'll see that again in a moment. He said, your prayers are answered. The Messiah is here. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ means Messiah. Notice now, historically, what the Jews wanted was a military conqueror to come in and overthrow, in this case, Rome, and set up the kingdom on earth. God did not send a military conqueror. He didn't send a soldier. He didn't send a a jurist. He didn't send a reformer. He didn't send... Somebody just come in and change things. He sent a Savior. He sent himself, Emmanuel, God with us. Why? Because our number one need is peace with God. And the only way you can get that is your sins have to be paid for. But God said, I will pay for them. Jesus is not just a great teacher, even though he was the greatest. Not the greatest example. He was the greatest example. He was not just a great... Reformer, not a martyr. He is God in the flesh. Before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. I'm the one who met Moses in the bush. I'm the one who was in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm the one who who created the universe. I am the word, eternal, self-existent one. I am. And I am for you. I came to die for you. So now, verse 12. This will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. So, the sign for them, for the shepherds, it's interesting. You'll see two signs at Christmas. What's the other one? The magi and the wise men get a sign. What's their sign? A star in the heavens. What's the sign given to the shepherds? You'll find a baby in a feed trough. What? A baby in a feed trough? Is that where you would go to look for the Savior of the world? We go out there with, as Peter was talking about earlier, go out there where it stinks? Out there with the animals, the stable, where it's nasty? That's where I'm going to find God in the flesh? Is that logical? No. But it's what? True. Notice, for the shepherds, it gives them something they'd really understand. Do they understand feed troughs? Do they understand nasty? Do they understand disgusting? Smelly? Yeah, they understood all that. That's who they were. He said, now you just go. So he gave them a sign, this is what you look for. It's really kind of cool if you think about it. They go to Bethlehem. How many places would you find a baby in a feed trough? So, if you go in, you know, it says that they go, it talks about they go and they look for a long time. They're going up to people and so say, Hey, Mike, you know where I can find a baby in a feed trough? Like, well, yeah, I heard there was some couple who couldn't get, there wasn't any room for them, and she was about to give birth. I like go over there behind the inn. In other words, this is a sign. you going to find him, that's where you'll find him. Go look for a baby in a feed trough, that's God. But then to the wise men, the shepherds, People who studied the stars, what sign did he give them? A star. You follow the star things you study, you learn, you know about. You follow that, and it'll take you to the king of the Jews. Does God knows what he's doing? Yeah. He does. So he gives them a sign. You'll find this baby wrapped in a feed trough, in a stable. You go. Not where you think you'd find a king. So the message to the shepherds: Your Savior is like you—lowly, humble, no roof, no dwelling, associating with the unclean, just like you, shepherds. Really interesting when you read through the Gospels, particularly John, the great "I am" statements of Jesus. One of those was, "I am the Good Shepherd." He talked about my sheep know me; they know my voice. No one would accept shepherds, but God did. He made them understand, you're important. So then verse 13, you see the purpose of this news. Verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel, not just one angel now, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now, it's not just Gabriel. It's a multitude of angels praising God. And Gabriel's announcement, echoing what he has told them. Now, the word multitude, here's what it means. There's so many, we don't even know how many there were. Another place in the Bible, it talks about angels like it's myriads and myriads of thousands upon thousands. And you look at the word multitude here, it means a large number beyond counting. Now, you think they were afraid a moment ago? But Gabriel's already told them What? Don't be afraid. I got some good news for you. And now the choir shows up, an unparalleled, never mentioned in Scripture, number that we don't even know what it could be, praising God, glorifying God, and saying, hey, peace on earth has come. Peace on earth has come. John chapter 1, the Bible says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The purpose of the good news, number one, glorify God. Jesus came so people would know who God really was. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said. I and the Father are one. When they were talking about crucifying him, Jesus said, what are you crucifying me for? The good things that I've done? Or the good things that I've taught. Which one? All I've ever done is good. And yet you want to crucify me. You know what they said? It's because you blaspheme, making yourself to be God. Why did he make himself to be God? Because he was God. And the Jews couldn't stand it. He was taking their authority and their power and their hammer away from them. They hated it. That's why Jesus said to them, you're going to hell. And you're taking people with you. They talked the Romans into killing Jesus. Well, even the Romans were more spiritual than the Pharisees. What did Pilate say about Jesus? Well, I can find no fault in this man. Why do you want to kill him? How about Barabbas? I want to kill him. What about Barabbas? No, no, we want Jesus. Kill, crucify him. He's a good shepherd. He's the truth. He's a living water. He's the light of the world. He's everything a man desperately needs in the depths of his soul. Peace on earth. Peace on earth for men. That's the next point, verse 14. They glorify God and bring peace on earth. Historically, at this moment in time, what existed on planet earth was what was called Pax Romana in Latin the Roman peace. They weren't at war with anybody and it had been that way for about 20 years. Everything was smooth. That's why all the Romans wanted for the Jews is you do your thing, don't cause us any trouble. Don't rebel. And for 20 years, that's about the way Pax But now what is the announcement of Gabriel echoed by the angels? This is real peace. To a Jew, even today, we say shalom to somebody, peace. You know what that means? It means well-being, may you be well, may you be secure, may you be complete or whole, and may you prosper. Jesus brought that, peace on earth. Spiritually, your life could be changed. Those days, there was a Stoic philosopher named Epictetus. You had the Epicureans, and then you had the Stoics. This was a Stoic philosopher who happened to be named Epicetus, sounds like the other, but he's a Stoic philosopher. And here's what he wrote. While the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, Pax Romana, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more, which for, for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. In other words, we've got Pax Romana, what do we not have? Peace on earth. The passions of the soul. Caesar can't solve that problem, but Jesus can. In Revelation chapter 7, you get this picture of heaven. The angels are all worshiping and and. I want you to see the verses, I want us to look at them together. Revelation 7 says, it's Revelation 7 and Revelation 5. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, amen, blessing and glory saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, Amen. Then in Revelation 5, I looked, John said, and I heard the voice of many angels, there's that multitude again, around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. See, the angels know who he is even demons fallen angels when you read through the gospels when demons encountered jesus christ what did they say to him what do we have to do with you O son of god they knew what they knew who he was because he had thrown them out of heaven they knew he was god now the angels are here worshiping the lamb because the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world, John the Baptist would announce. So then you look at verse 15 back in our text. Verse 15, the power of this good news. What does it do? So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven and the shepherds said to one another, let's now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph. And the word found means they looked for a while. We talked about that earlier. And the babe lying in a manger. The power of the good news is that it transforms people. Now, look, here are these shepherds out right here, and we just, we've set the scene, we've seen everything that happened, and now the glory glows away and the angels go away. They didn't say, you know, we probably need to go talk to somebody about this. this we ain't smart enough to figure this out. Maybe we need to go, like, seminary for a while and study on this thing what does it say they did they made a decision we got to see this for ourselves we got to go to bethlehem we got to find this baby we got to find emmanuel we got to find messiah We, we need to find this baby in a feed trough that can forgive sins who came for us and it's the savior of the world I love verse 16. What does it say? They did what? Verse 16. They came with what? What does that mean? They didn't waste any time. They immediately headed to Bethlehem to find this baby. They were transformed. And the only sign they had was what? Look for a baby where? in a feed trough, not in a palace, in a feed trough. Stable, a barn, something like that. And after a long search, Greek, they found. They sought God, they found God. Now verse 17. Notice what they do. And when they had seen The baby, And they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. Notice what they did. Not only did they seek out Christ and find him, immediately after seeing the child... They, number one, made widely known this child. In other words, everywhere they went, what they talk about? This baby, we found the Messiah. Coming to Jesus Christ, understanding the gospel, having your life transformed, you talk about it. You want people to know. I know when I got saved as a 16-year-old, it was such a radical deal for me I would talk to anybody that would give me the time of day, including adults. Because I thought it was, everybody ought to know this. And I still feel that way this day, but I'm not as brash as I was when I was 16. I mean, I would go up to anybody and total strangers. Mary and I joked about this and talked about it for years. And, and you know, we met about the same time that I got saved. And we were, on, we were in Panama City Beach on a church trip at a place called Shipwreck Island and while everybody else was riding rides and having fun I did I was just going up to total strangers and asking them if they knew Jesus cuz it was a big deal for me I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else I was just stupid enough to this is pretty exciting for me I want, I'd like other people to know about it you know I tried to talk to my parents and my brothers and I didn't always do that in the, in the best way you know you could be a jerk at sometimes especially with your family but I did want them to know To this day, it still is a passion of mine that my two brothers come to know Christ. Why? Because that's the only place they're going to find peace on earth and eternal life. Is at the foot of the cross. The Christ child came to die for them. So they didn't, get, they didn't have to go out and get educated. get a degree. They just started telling people what they gave. They shared their personal testimony. You ever think somebody's going to ask you, you're a Christian and you want to talk to someone about Jesus saving you and you're excited about being a Christian? Do you think you're going to be able to answer every question they ask you? If you do, you need to be up here. You don't have an answer for every question. You do have a testimony though, don't you? Just tell them what happened to you. When they ask you, where did Cain get his wife, what are you going to say? I don't know, singles bar. I don't know where he got his wife. Wouldn't that have been incest? You'd have to think. Can you study and find out? Yeah. But that doesn't mean you're going to have all the answers. What it does mean is you've got a testimony. You need to share your testimony. Notice verse 18. Everybody, they went, they made went and told everybody in verse 18, all who heard it marveled. And yeah, they marveled like these dudes are crazy. Or could it be the Messiah? Maybe we need to check it out. But then notice verse 20. It says they returned. They went home. I love this picture because it's so important. When you leave here today, where are you going? Some of you are going home and some of you are going somewhere else. Eventually, you're going to go home. Tomorrow, you're going to go to work. Unless they shut our county down again. But we'll see. You're going to do something. You're going to be somewhere. You're going to interact with people. They went home. But notice what they did. They didn't go home the same way, did they? They lived their lives in a new way. They'd been transformed. Notice the two things it says about them in verse 20. Number one, glorifying God. Number two, praising God, just like the angels had done. Just like the angels had done. All right. Now, I want to briefly, very briefly, I want us to look at Simeon. What happened here? We're just going to hit the highlights. We're not going to do the whole thing. Verses 21 through 40, the context is, Simeon and Anna both recognize this baby Jesus as the Messiah. But these are two old Israelite Jews. They've yearned for the arrival of the Messiah. They've, been, they've never been a free people. They've been under somebody's thumb their entire lives. Currently, it's Rome. And the focus here is they can find hope in the person of Jesus. And you see two witnesses, the law and Moses. I just want to hit a couple of highlights, and then we're going to stop for today. Drop down to verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout. In other words, he was righteous, he was a believer, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's a direct reference to the Old Testament, waiting for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the, the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and he blessed God, saying, Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation. He's waiting for the Messiah, and God says, I've got to an answer to your prayer. Not only are you going to I'm going to let you see the Messiah before you die. And God made him that promise, and he has him at the temple that day. He gets to see the Messiah, takes him in his arms, and he blesses him. And he thanks God. He says, I can now depart. I love the word depart. It means, in Greek, it means a number of different things. But hang with me for just a moment. It means to release a prisoner and set him free. It means to untie a ship and let it set sail. It means to strike your tent and go home. It means to unyoke a beast of burden. Every one of those metaphors is used in the Bible to describe what it means to be a Christian. Set free, go home. All of those. Your burden lifted. All of those. Simeon is a happy man, he's a happy old man. I can die now. Peace, I've seen the Messiah. But not only that, look at verse thirty one. This is what I want to end with. Verse thirty one. Verse thirty, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared before the face of quote, all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now he was a righteous Jew, but he gets it. It's not just for the Jews. Christ is for everyone. Remember, He's in the temple. Christmas is good news and it's the best news because it's for the entire world and it changes you. I want to share a true story with you and then we're going to be done for the day. As we think about Christmas and peace on earth and being changed. Years ago, years ago, there was a young man named Bill. Bill had wild, crazy hair. This was back very conservative times. Uh, he wore his clothes were all ready, full of holes. He fit in well today. Didn't have any socks. That was his what he wore during his time in college. Very eccentric but brilliant young man. And while in college, he became a Christian. So across from the campus where he went to school, college, there was a a church, a typical mainline, denominational, traditional church. Well, he's a Christian now. He decides, I need to go where? I need to go to church. So Bill shows up at church, and he wanted to get involved in like a student ministry for college students. He wanted to be part of it. to see how he might be able to help. So he walks in. What did he wear to church? Same thing he wore to college every day, torn up clothes, nasty, holes in them. He just shows up at church. So he starts walking down the aisle looking for a place to sit down. All the chairs are filled up. There's no place to sit down. So he did what any college student would do when they go into some place and they want to be part of it. and There are no chairs. He just sat down where? On the floor. Well, now the people in the church are a little worried. We can't have him doing this. We can't have him sitting in the, the middle of the church like this. The, I mean, what are people going to think? They're very uncomfortable and no one knows what to do. So they're getting uptight, and they don't know what to do. So they get one of their deacons in the back of the church, and they talk him into going up to talk to this guy. They don't know who he is. The deacon was an old man. He was in his 80s, very distinguished guy, uh, silver gray hair, had on his three-piece suit, and he walked with a cane. And he's walking down to talk to Bill, and they're all they're appreciative of the deacon uh, he may not understand, but he, he can straighten his kid out and get him out of here. How does he think he'd come in here and sit on the floor during the worship service? So he come, the deacon walks up to Bill, and the church just gets completely silent. All you can hear is the clicking of the deacon's cane as he walks up to Bill. Everybody's looking at him, and he gets up, he drops his cane on the floor. And with great difficulty, which I understand, with great difficulty, he lowers himself to the floor and whispers or says to Bill, do you mind if I sit with you? In that one simple moment, what did the deacon say to Bill? You are accepted. You are loved. And there may be some people here that are goofy and don't, but Jesus ain't. You ever hear anybody tell you I'm not going to church because it's full of hypocrites? You know what? They're right. But Jesus is not a hypocrite. He's the Savior of the world. And we have good news to share with people. No matter who you are, no matter what you look like, no matter where you are on the strata, Jesus came to die for you. That's Christmas. You bow your heads loose. Father, we thank you that Jesus did come. But that he came to die, came to be tortured to death, actually, for us. For God so loved the world that he gave. Whosoever believes in him, have everlasting life. Thank you, Father, for saving Randy Lockley 50 years ago. Thank you for saving those of us that are watching, that are here, that are born again. But, Lord, I pray in a crazy year, 2020, that's been negative in so many ways, that we would never forget the positive good news of Christmas, that Jesus came. The Christ child was the Christ who died on the cross. He came because he loved us to solve our problem. We need peace with God. He alone gives it. We need joy. He alone gives it. So we thank you for Jesus. And we just pray we would be committed to sharing the good news of Christmas in Jesus.